What's up, everybody? Welcome to Talk It Out Podcast. This is your girl, Gabby. And KT. And Joy is on the way. Uh, remember, you can listen to Talk It Out Podcast on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash talk it out, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Acast, where you can find a podcast, we are there, as well as tiopodcast.com slash episodes. Hit us up on social media. We have a Facebook at Talk It Out Podcast, a Instagram at Talk It Out Podcast, and a Twitter at Talk It Out underscore pod. Use the hashtag Talk It Out Pod for a retweet. Now, we have a very, very special guest here coming all the way from Alabama. Um, his name is Michael Hansen, and we have a very, very interesting conversation today. We're going to talk a little bit about hashtag church two and um, you know, sexual abuse in the church and the ways in which the church tries to cover these things up. It's going to be a really good conversation. So everybody clap it up for Michael Hansen. We got him. Got him out here today, and uh, I'm going to give you a chance to um, introduce yourself. And- well, thank you all for having me. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, I'm Michael Hansen. I'm living in Birmingham, Alabama. Now, i originally from Memphis. I grew up there and lived there until I was about 25. Mm-hmm. And I've uh, been in Birmingham the last 10 years, and um, I work in the nonprofit arena and ran for office and trying to make a difference with the uh, exposing sexual assault in the church and you know, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at Michael Hansen, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-H-A-N-S-E-N. All right. Follow him there. Follow him there. All right. Let's get right into this conversation. So I actually found out about you. Um, I was on Yahoo and the the story about High Point and um, the, the pastor that was accused of sexual harassment, sexual assault, was um, it was a big article front page. And in the article, it linked to your medium article about how the church tried to cover up a, a sexual assault scandal. And I found that I found that and I read it and it was just. It was it was a lot it was a lot to process, but it was a very good read, and I, I shared it to everybody. And um, I really think your story is an important story to tell because, like you said, a lot of this stuff does get covered up until you know, until it's like twenty years down the line. So, can you tell us a little bit about um, your upbringing and then the, your your story and um, how it's impacted your life? Um, sure. I grew up, like I said, in Memphis. I grew up in uh, Sherwood Forest, uh, right over by Sherwood Elementary, Sherwood Junior High area. Mm-hmm. And we went to Southern Baptist Church, grew up going to Audubon Park. And um, a few years into my teen years, we moved out to Carrierville and started attending um, Emmanuel Baptist Church, as it was known then. And it later changed its name to the Church at Schilling Farms. Um you know, it was fairly typical upbringing, uh, conservative Republican family, mm-hmm. um, and pretty staunch, staunchly religious and church camps and church on Wednesdays and Bible studies on Tuesdays and mm-hmm. whatever else, you know, as much church as we could get, really. <laughs> and so that was really my, um, I'd say from about eight years on until, you know, I graduated high school. That was my my life. Okay, so yeah, you grew up in the you'd say evangelical Christian church. Yes, very evangelical, traditional Southern Baptist. 
Right. Yeah. Mm. We we did an episode on the evangelical church and their influence that they've had on America as of late in the Republican Party. And the evangelical church is very, very powerful. A lot of people, they don't know about it, but they're everywhere pretty much, you know. Can you talk a little bit about when you came to Emmanuel Baptist Church, um, how you came in contact with the youth pastor? Sure. Uh, Well, we started visiting when I was in ninth grade. So I guess I was about 14, 15 then. So we started visiting Emmanuel, decided to join the church after we'd moved to Carville. And then um, got really involved in the youth group thereafter. And the youth pastor was actually a guy named Nolan Bobbitt. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the official, you know, actual youth minister. Um, but after, I think we'd been there about a year when uh, a guy named Chris Carwell started attending the church. Uh, he joined. And then that summer was hired on as a youth ministry intern. Mm-hmm. And um, he he started like drama programs and uh, beefing up the the programming for like Sunday night youth services and stuff like that. And um, my brother and I and some of our friends that were really, really involved got involved in some of the deeper Bible study type stuff. We were, uh, I was involved in something called uh, SEALs, like named after the Navy SEALs, mm-hmm. uh, intense training mm-hmm. for the most devoted. And it was, stood for students entering an awesome life of service. Okay. So it was really geared towards the dedicated youth uh, youth group members who wanted to go into Christian ministry at the time. Um, so from there, um, Chris was a mentor to me in that program, and that's when my story uh, took place, was that summer. So that's really, it's really crazy to me, like, Like, I don't know, I guess, like, I'm thinking of it from my point of view, like, I used to be a Christian, and then, like, I went to to being an atheist, so my question kind of is, is, like, do you feel as if, like, now that this has all happened, and that this story is coming out, which is absolutely wonderful, because you're speaking out, um, that, you know, your faith in church, or your faith in God has, like, been... Uh, diminished or gotten less at this point, or are you still like an advocate for church and things like that? Well, there, so there were uh, several victims in, in our situation mm-hmm. um, with Chris. And w- and then when we were investigating, we found out about other people who'd been in similar situations, uh, girls with adult ministers or adult Bible study leaders and things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. We unearthed all of this culture and, it's very mixed among us. Me personally, I'm I, I, I'm like you. I identify as an atheist now. Probably would say agnostic because it comes off less uh, confrontational, and I like to avoid the, the topic now. But you know, I, I I today's Sunday, and I spend my days you know cleaning the house and cle- clearing up the fridge and doing laundry and things like that. I don't I don't attend church. I I personally uh, find no use for it. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm at. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Like, for exactly, like, from my own perspective, again, like, I think of church, like, I don't really see a point for it anymore. Do you think that uh, the experiences that you went through at the church determined that? Or was it that uh, you just eventually got to the point where you're like, oh, church isn't really for me? You know, if you, you know, I guess you guys can uh, share my my story um, somewhere on social media yeah. or your website or whatever mm-hmm. for people to read. 
there was a long process from uh, because I was a gay man and because I was assaulted by another man, it, it really affected my coming out process. Mm -hmm. And so after the assault and then through the next, I don't know, six to eight years, there was a real dark struggle inside of me about that. And that was all at the height of the evangelical Republican um, anti-gay movement in right. the late 90s and the early 2000s. You'll remember in 2004 that uh, the GOP, they essentially ran an anti-gay ca campaign across the country to drive up turnout. And that was a really defining moment mm -hmm. for me. And that's the year that I decided to come out. Mm, okay. And so it, that was all a part of the process. And I share that because I don't think I would have ever gotten to the point of calling myself an atheist without that dual struggle. I know that all of this must be really triggering and terrible for you, you know, going back and asking questions about your abuse and how, um, you know, you feel about certain situations now. But what are you doing to to basically um, help other victims come out and, and feel safe? Well, um, I, I, I want to start by saying that I'm fine. Um, it's taken a while to get here, though. And okay. so I understand that with other people, it takes, you know, it's, it's every case is its own journey. So sometimes it takes years to get over it or to get to a place where you can even talk about it. And I completely understand that. I'm doing very well. I think part of that is because when we decided to all come out and tell our stories together, there was it formed a bond between us. Mm -hmm. But also we had uh, support from uh, bloggers like Amy Smith, and D at Wartburg and all of these people who are advocates and snap network was great. So I had a lot of support and that really helped me. Mm -hmm. And, um, so in the case, like, uh, you asked about what I'm doing to help other victims. Uh, we've been really involved with the Jules Woodson story, uh, related to high point church mm -hmm. and just trying to make sure that people understand that, you know, there's a lot of gray area, but that doesn't make this stuff okay. And and so we need to believe victims and we need to do certain things to make sure they, that these things don't happen again. And a lot of it goes back to, in the church in particular, um, challenging authority and making sure that we're holding people to a legal standard, not just a biblical standard. Right. Um, because the biblical standard can be manipulated and has been for centuries to protect powerful people from my point of view that's right and so we're just just uplifting those people who have the courage to come out and share their stories and making sure that there's a there's a healthy conversation going on about accountability and um regarding the um the high point church deal um were you surprised um you know when andy savage you know he you know he quote unquote confessed what was going on and quote unquote apologize. Were you surprised by the response of his congregation? You know, they gave him a standing ovation. Was that surprising to you or were you expecting that? I will tell you that because I grew up in the Southern Baptist church and that was a part, you know, it still is a part of my DNA. I'm never going to be rid of that. Um, because that was part of my life, I fully expected it. And when it happened, I was just rolling my eyes with, you know, that sort of ironic expectation. That's one of the things about the church. Like you said, like it, it can become like 
a royalty type thing. Like these people almost become godlike. No matter what you say, no matter what you do, they will find some way to twist it and, you know, make everybody feel sorry for them and make their congregation believe everything they say. So it's like this man has been hiding this for them this many years. And the only reason he came out and said something about it is because this woman put him on blast pretty much. And these people are like giving him a standing ovation like he just I don't know. It's it's really, really weird to me. And and so when going back to your story, when you um, you said you didn't tell you didn't tell anybody right away when it happened. And, you know, we, right. we're, there's a lot of conversation going around about victims and why are they waiting so long and this and that. Can you can you explain why you didn't go right ahead and, and tell anybody what happened in your case? Well, I mean, it was traumatic. First of all, I didn't know what to do. I was a kid mm-hmm. and the the reaction for me was just to get home and get showered you know, and just, mm-hmm. I sat in my room for like the next 48 hours. Um, but also because I knew before this happened that I was different. That's the way I thought of it then. Mm-hmm. It, it's different. Uh, what I mean is I was gay, but, um, and I knew that the church was very anti-gay, the, the Southern Baptist church in particular. And so I was afraid that I would be blamed. I was worried that it was something you know, you, you watch televangelists or mm-hmm. Republican politicians, and they, they say that things are, this is the God's punishment for X, Y, and Z. Uh-huh. And I was worried that that was my punishment. At some point in time, I got over that, but that was really what was in my gut at the, at the moment. And then, you know, the other thing was, who was going to believe me? You know, right, I didn't feel right. like I'd be believed. That's the thing about it. And a lot of people, you know, everyone always, when someone comes out after years or decades, they always say, you know, they, they look back on it and it's like, well, you could have just told somebody. But I think even now, even with all this Me Too stuff, there we still have a culture where victims aren't believed right right away. And mm-hmm. even, you know, when their story comes out, they're, they're dissected to the T and everything is, even with... Um, the high point lady like people are already saying well you know maybe it was consensual or you know people calling it a a sexual incident you know kind of diminishing what she's talking about exactly so i don't you can't have it both ways people are not going to come out if they don't feel safe you know correct correct And, and um andy contributed to that when he went on the radio his only interview that he's done with the media after all the allegations came to light he talked about how this was an organic sexual moment between two, uh, you know, he didn't use the word horny, but that's what he meant. He meant like horny <laughs> yeah. teenagers. Right. And that's, he talked like that on, he went to his friend who's a conservative right wing talk radio host. Yeah. It had this conversation about this person who was under his pastoral care. And that's what gets missed is he was a pastor. Mm. You can't have sex with your, your members. That's, that is, there's a power dynamic there that it's, it's tantamount to a teacher having sex with a student. Right. A very similar kind of power dynamic. And to diminish that, I think, is it, it exposes the moral bankruptcy of the evangelical church. And that's their gut instinct is to go with that instead of the truth and justice. And isn't that something like when it's like with something they don't, quote, agree with? 
like anybody in the LGBT community. It's like, okay, cut and dry, boom, boom, you're gay, going to hell. Or you're trans, you're, you're not, you don't belong here. But when it's something like a little <laughs> sexual this hell. and that, they come up with the most flowery language to dilute uh-huh. what's really going on so that they can cover their tails and go on about their business. It's, it's so yeah. hypocritical. I'll tell you, um, you know, I, I'm living in Birmingham, and so I was involved in the Senate race back uh, in this fall and December. Mm-hmm. where Roy Moore was accused of sexual assault. Right. And he's famous for being a uh, evangelical politician. Like mm-hmm. that, he's world famous for the Ten Commandments thing mm-hmm. and for his anti-gay stances and a lot of other stuff. Well, he, he got accused of sexual assault, and one of the other state politicians came out and compared him to Mary and Joseph, you That's know, right. saying that Mary, Mary was a teenager back then. Oh, and, Lord. you know, this is... This is the kind of uh, contortions they put themselves into to justify this stuff. You know, 80% of evangelicals voted for Donald Trump, who is an admitted sexual predator. Right. So it it boggles my mind. I don't understand it. (sighs) KT, what what answers do you have? What can we do? Like, I'm thinking (laughs) back to, like, that, like, I'm kind of going back to to the High Point Church. Like, I just think of... Like, I just see that video, and, like, obviously, it's outside the statute of limitations now, right? Like, there's no way that you can go back and basically get him for that. But, like, at the same time, like, I'm, I'm thinking that, like, wow, of course he's coming out now because the statute of limitations is over with. And so if she wanted to press charges, then she couldn't. And it's just, like, it's so messed up. It's just, it doesn't, I don't understand it. I don't get it. And I would think, like, wouldn't they try to, like, I wouldn't let him still be in that big of a leadership. Like, maybe you can say, oh, he's changed, whatever. But he wouldn't be, like, one of the lead pastors. I couldn't let that happen, especially if it's taken this long for him to say anything about it. That's that's what kind of irks me and kind of makes me look like, eh, you know. Well, something else that I would like to add is that Chris Conley, the lead pastor and co-founder uh, of High Point, He's built this mega church and profits off of speeches and tours and books and all of that stuff. He knew he admits that he's known about mm-hmm. this for almost two decades. So why hasn't he done something? Mm. You know, in my opinion, he's complicit in the cover up. Yeah. He needs to be brought, you know, into the conversation more, I think. Yeah. yeah. And Michael, I think it was you that I seen uh, in your in your medium article that you posted. You said that it's only like a, a $50 fine for them uh, to basically not report it. I don't know if it was you or someone else that I was reading, like in regards to the whole situation. But if the like in Tennessee, it's like against the law not to report a crime. But if they don't report that crime, then the only fine that they get is like 50 bucks. Yeah, it's a misdemeanor uh, penalty, so that, that needs to be changed. And, you know, that's something that if I were in Tennessee, I'd be having conversations with lawmakers about that. I, I'd really like to see that um, penalty beefed up and, and stronger protections for victims to come forward, and as well as uh, I, I'd like to see a ban on the statute of limitations altogether. Yeah. Let's just get rid of that. Hey, Michael, it's Joy. I've <laughs> come in, <laughs> come in kind of late, but I've just been listening because I didn't want to say anything. But um, 
uh, I know it's been it's gotten pretty big as far as who knows now. Uh, media outlets, uh, news channel three, thirteen, five—they've all done stories on it here in Memphis, especially. But um, even on YouTube, they have videos about the story and they're covering it. And some of the comments that people have made are astounding to me. So one person said the church is about forgiveness. So why not forgive him? And that is true. The church is about forgiveness, but the church is also about condemnation. Otherwise there will be no heaven or hell. So I don't understand. Uh, well, uh, I was just going to say that um, my friend Kenny did a Facebook Live with this guy who's, uh, I think he's a rapper out in California, uh, but he's also uh, a pastor. And he talked about the story of the cross. And the guy next to Jesus basically says, you know, uh, I'll think of me when you get to heaven. And Jesus says to him, I'll see you when I get there. But the key part of the, the, as he tells it, is that Jesus didn't take him off the cross. He still had to die. He still had to pay right. for his sins. I think he was a thief. And so, you know, they, they overlook that part. And that's the accountability part. You got to pay for what you've done. And I, I'm not a burn it at the burn Andy at the stake kind of guy. I don't want Chris Carwell, my abuser, to, to die. Mm-hmm. That's not what I'm after. I just want people to be held accountable. And that's what the justice system is for. And so when you escape it by not reporting and covering up crimes, you know, you're you're making sure that victims never see justice. What do you what do you think is one of the reasons for the cover up? Is it just to make sure their church looks good? Is that what you think the motivating factor is? I think that's a big part of it. But I also think that the Catholic Church cover up. Uh, that whole scandal started coming out in the 90s, uh, and, you know, that was a really big deal in the news. And I I think the evangelical church was able to, you know, fly under the radar a bit, even though they had their own problem going on. Mm-hmm. But what they did, instead of figuring out ways to uh, seek justice and help victims come forward and protect the victims, what they did was they circled the rag- wagons, swept everything under the rug— They hired attorneys and PR consultants and all of these people to help make sure that they were, their liability was limited and not to make sure that, that kids were protected. And that's the exact opposite of what the church should be doing. Exactly. They view it as a business enterprise and not as a sanctuary. It's, it's so weird to see the generational gaps in my church. The younger people feel like, oh, he needs to be prosecuted. Nobody, um, anybody who does this to a child, no matter what the age, they should go to jail. Mm. Plain and simple. Then it's the older generation. The uh, I used to, I was picking, picking cotton generation. <laughs> they, no, literally, literally. Racism. <laughs> No, this is what she told me. This is what this is her. This is her stand. Okay. One lady said that. What was she? They asked the question as far as the high point because it's in Memphis, and since we're from Memphis, it touched home to a lot of people. And they said, "What was she doing behind in the forest anyway? Mm. What is she? 
Like mm. she's 17 years old. She's almost an adult. Now, if it was, and then they said, and then she said, the reason why I brought up the cotton is because she said, I was a cotton picker when I was 13. And I knew to go the other way, um, owner, another word for owner, came 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 towards me, basically saying that an older man tried to get her in a sexual way against her will when she was younger, and she knew then to go the other way. Hmm. Like that that the complacentness in her story made everybody go quiet and made them change their opinions and made them see how they sounded. And they sounded like fools because if it had been your daughter at 17 years old going to get a tattoo, you live under my roof and you're going to do as I say, you're too young for this, but you're not too young to get raped. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. The victim blaming. I feel like the church always victim blames. Like it doesn't like no matter what. Well, maybe not even just the church, but like point blank, period, throughout, yeah, our whole entire culture, like it's always the victim's fault. It's always that person's fault. It's not the person who's actually doing the abusing's fault. Yeah, I got to say, I had uh, drinks with Jules a couple weeks ago. Uh, She was in Birmingham and we had a great conversation. And this is not someone who is seeking out any sort of attention and she would rather not have to be us. But, you know, when we talk about what was she doing there, like why was she going along with it, it, it doesn't matter. Like right. this is a person who was in a pastoral care position. He was uh, in a level of authority, and uh, the power dynamic was a wide gap. You know, she's a teenager. He's a, a, a youth pastor. <clears throat> you can't. You can't just overlook that. You can't just her for being in that situation and, and not putting up a fight or, you know, whatever. You've got to look at the systems and uh, the power dynamics and all of the things that people who want to give the church a pass are so prone to uh, clinging on to. It's, it's just not right. And it just, it, it's, it's amazing to me how people are not aware of a situation unless it happens to them. Mm-hmm. And this society has no compassion or empathy with, with, with each other. And I think that that's the problem. Do you, Michael, do you think that society has fallen by the wayside as far as empathy wise? You know, I, I spent a lot of time in 2017 thinking about the question of empathy and part of it is because I ran for office last year, and I had the pl- privilege of meeting hundreds of people throughout Alabama and hearing their stories. And so many people um, have fascinating stories that deserve to be heard and deserve to be considered in, you know, just who we are as a society, but also policy making and all of those things. But then, you know, I, at the same time, like. I ran into, um, I'll be discreet as possible, but I had a conversation with a woman at a um, Medicare for All rally. You know, it was this very left-wing gathering last summer um, protesting uh, 
Alabama Senator Richard Shelby and you know advocating for universal health care. Mm-hmm. And I ran into this woman. So we talked about healthcare, and it was a fascinating conversation. I empathized with her story, but then she got on this rant about 9-11 was an inside job and said <laughs> some racist things. And I was like, how can, how can this I be? Can't like, I have such a hard time stitching together these narratives where people are so um, right about some things and so wrong about others. And that's, I think, part of the problem is, is not that as a society or as humans, we've somehow magically lost the ability to empathize is that we've become so fragmented and mm. social media has a lot to do with that. Technology has a lot to do with that. Um, and, and all of these things that we're not quite used to and that have really affected how we see each other as humans and interact with each other. You know, I don't think going back to Joy's comments about people's comments on the YouTube videos and stuff like that, people would never say those things to your face. Oh, no. And Mm -hmm. YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and iPhones and uh, Androids, they've all contributed to this culture where people can say things that they might not have even thought before. But now that they've got these anonymous devices, you know, sometimes they're not anonymous. A lot of times they are. But they've got that divide between the other person. It's miles, but it's also uh, humanity. And so they're able to say these things that, 20 years ago, people would never say. And sure, there was bad stuff going on. That's when I was assaulted. That's when my cover-up happened and all of that. But people would never have blamed me and said the things that they said about me online the way they did last year, 20 years ago. And I think that's that's the sort of stuff that's contributing to this decline in real human empathy. Mm. So what do you think we can do... Um... So I'm I'm still in the church, barely clinging on. Um, what do you think people that are in the church right now can do to help? I don't know to help make the space safer for people to to um, come out about stories and stuff like that, or just to make it safer in general, where, where people aren't getting assaulted. Like, what what can we do? <laughs> It's so basic. I mean, you've got to run background checks on all of your volunteers who like people who work in your nurseries Mm -hmm. and who work in uh, your Bible studies and Sunday school. You got to run background checks on all of your um, staff. You've Mm -hmm. also got to host trainings. You've got to go through really deep um, conversations with the entire congregation about believing victims and what to do, what your responsibility is if you suspect something. Not if you saw something, but even if you suspect something, mm. you got to report it. You got to take it to the police. Um, it, it, we got to change laws. We got to make sure that the statute of limitations is expanded, if not removed altogether. We've got to make sure that there's um, anonymity in reporting. Mm-hmm. And th- these are just really common sense, easy things to do that, you know, they're just not doing because it would it would make them look bad. You yeah. Know, because they they've not been doing it. They've been doing the opposite. And then, I guess because you know I don't think this is one this is probably contribute to one of the reasons why a lot of sexual abuse happens, but because a lot of times they're not doing these background checks because it's not like a regulated business where you mm-hmm. know 
and and if something happens, you know, you can cover it, cover it up. It's not like you're working at a school or, you know, a library or something like that. So it's that that's really I don't even I haven't even thought about that. But that's 100 percent true. Like we need to be doing this stuff. But sometimes we're just looking for help and volunteers that we just let anybody come in and all types of stuff is allowed to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to be fair, I don't think a background check would have caught Chris Carwile um, in oh, 1997, yeah. 98. So he would have slid by that. But there are other things that you can put in place, you know, to, to prevent it from happening. And then, you know, making sure that justice is sought once it does, because we're not going to stop every abuse case ever. You know, it's just we're not going to do that. So we can do the best we can to prevent it. And then. Once it happens, what do we do? What are the wheels that need to be put into motion? And, you know, the church has fallen woefully short on that front. Uh, there's been a lot of people, Michael, to be, to be accused of sexual harassment in one way or another this year or last year. What do you say to those people who say there are too many people being accused? They have these women or in, in some cases, men have to be lying. <laughs> what do you um, say to those people? Because I just have no response. I, I mean, have they never walked into a workplace or into a restaurant or anywhere in public before? Because it's been on full display. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't tell you how many women just being groped or made comments to or jokes. And I think it's important that we do include in this conversation degrees, you know, a joke is not the same as groping, mm -hmm. is not the same as uh, a sexual assault, it's not the same as rape. You know, there are degrees, but to just deny that this is a pervasive problem is delusional. Um, yeah, I was watching uh, Bill Maher last night because someone had tweeted about his, his comments about Me Too, mm -hmm. and he called it McCarthyism, and he was suggesting that it's as though... Um, I think at some point he was suggesting that there, it's almost like a witch hunt, like mm, the McCarthy mm. hearings back in yeah. the 50s and 60s. And I, I get that we need to have this conversation about degrees and we need to separate things in, into their appropriate place. But, I mean, this is just everywhere. And I, I don't even know what to say to people who act like it's not a real thing. I mean, it's so obvious. It's just, it's been right in front of our faces this whole time. Exactly. These people, uh, so some of the names I've mentioned, like, um, what was one of the first names I've mentioned? This James Rodson guy, who's a Fox News correspondent. When he got, uh, when he was accused by three females for sexual advances and sexual harassment, he was fired from, well, he left, quote-unquote, Fox News. When um, Morgan Spurlock was accused of rape and sexual harassment, he stepped down from his company. Mm -hmm. I cannot understand. This, this, and and I, 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 I hate to say this part because it makes me feel bad because I'm from the South, but I feel like it's a Southern thing. When we cannot hold people accountable in in positions of power, but Hollywood can—that's mm -hmm. ridiculous to me. 
but the the Catholic Church had the same problem, and that's you know more um, common in the Northeast and in the West than it is in the South. So I, I don't know if it's a South versus other parts of the country thing or a specific denomination. Um, but it's I don't know. There's just something about um, I think religion in particular because religion is trying to it gives us a reason to understand a way to understand the world, but mm-hmm. also a, a system of justice separate and apart from the one that we have through our government. And I think when you throw a wrench into that, people become defensive and defiant mm-hmm. and they want to dismiss anything that makes it look bad because that's where they get their identity from. Right. And I get it. I, I don't begrudge people who are still of, of faith but, um, you know, you, you got to at some point look inside and say, what is it about this faith community that's preventing us from holding people accountable in leadership roles? And, you know, Andy, I'll, I'll go back to him real quick. It was so obvious. He was, um, when he was at Metro at Germantown Baptist Church, his thing was young singles and sexual purity. And then he went on to High Point, and he's the sex pastor, and he does the Sex Nation tour. <laughs> he talks about sex and sex and youth and young people and purity and all of these things that it's been his entire ministry, and he's been obsessed with it, I would say. Yeah. And you got to say, there is a reason. There, I'm not going to say there are more victims. I have no idea. But, you know, the red flags were there. Mm-hmm. Come on. Jules, is is there anything else she can do because of statute of limitations and he's not getting fired from High Point? Is he, you know, is that pretty much it? Yeah, I, I'm not really sure. I haven't talked to her about what she's doing legally, but I'm sure she's had lots of offers for representation. And, you know, if the church keeps going down this road where they accuse her of lying, if they do so in a formal way, you know, they're just opening themselves up to a defamation suit, which is about the closest she would ever get at this point to any kind of justice. Um, you know, the criminal case is closed. That was closed, you know, 19 years ago. Mm-hmm. So uh, we saw the sheriff's statement when they said there'd be no char- charges filed. And mm-hmm. you could read between the lines there. It basically said, we wish we could, but we mm-hmm. can't. Yeah. Well, we wish the best for her. And the church just has to do better. Everybody's got to do better, but the church is just... It's that hypocrisy that really gets to me. That that's the thing that's just so mind boggling. They they're pointing fingers and they get about thirty fingers pointing back at themselves because they just got so much stuff covered up. But we, the people that are still in the church, and even people that aren't in the church anymore, we we have to speak out about these things. And if we see something going on, we gotta you gotta say something, or it's just gonna it's gonna continue to go on. But um. Thank you so much, Michael, for coming on the show. We really enjoyed you, and thank you for taking the time out to to share your story and and your views on everything. Um, so can you can uh, plug everything again? Your Twitter and where people can find you, where people can find your article and all that stuff. We'll put the article in the description at the bottom. So yeah, um, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Michael Hansen, M I C H A E L H E N S E N, and I tweet about. You know, politics and uh, sexual abuse in in the church in particular, but in general, and uh, food and dogs as well. The best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. The best. And food the, is the best. I don't like dogs. 
I'm making some pork as we speak, so. Oh. <laughs> I think she's a vegetarian. Yeah, we're Eat both up. vegetarians, and <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, and I'm a polo pescatarian. We're all my, something. My day job is working on climate change, so I really should be um, <laughs> a, a vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> The agriculture contributes so much. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna get. You'll get there. You'll get there. I will <laughs> never get there. Never. Memphis in me. Right. There you go. <laughs> and uh, remember, guys, you can check us out again on SoundCloud, SoundCloud.com/slash Talk It Out, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Acast, TuneIn, wherever you can find a podcast, and TIOPodcast.com/slash Episodes. Hit us up on social media: Facebook.com/slash Talk It Out Podcast. Instagram at Talk It Out Podcast and Twitter at Talk It Out underscore pod. TIOPodcast.com slash shop for merch. And that's pretty much it. This has been your girl, Gabby. Enjoy. And Katie. And this has been Talk It Out. And we out. Talk It Out. Yeah.